0: Welcome to Your True Calling. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Dr. Michelle Chapel, a psychologist and a rock star. I've helped thousands of people find their true purpose by discovering their one-of-a-kind superpowers. Each week, I'll share tools and client success stories to help you find gifts you don't know you have so that you can thrive in a career that fills your soul, and passion projects that make you feel whole. Hello everyone, I am so happy to be talking to Lynn Hilton today, who is a gifted singer, a clinical hypnotherapist, and a resilience coach. She is based in the UK, and today we talk about how you can overcome your limiting beliefs and develop more confidence. Let's get into it. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're most welcome. And thank you for asking me, Michelle. I'm very excited.
0: Oh, me too. Well, and I'm especially appreciative because we live in different countries and are in vastly different
1: time zones. So I know it's towards the end of your day. Yes, it's going to be the last thing that I do work-wise today. Yes.
0: (laughs) So the reason I asked you to be on this podcast is because I saw you do some live coaching in thinking outside the blocks which is an education and community hub for songwriters that's been created by ali moss and best Mm. Rogers, you just blew me away basically you were working with two singer songwriters helping them to improve their performances and you did it like in a couple of minutes bravo thanks (laughs) the purpose of this podcast is to help people find their true gifts their true calling so a lot of times people don't, they're not aware of their gifts or they know their gifts, but they don't have the confidence to act on their gifts. You're like an expert in that. But I first wanted to talk about your gift or music. You've had a lot of different careers and passions over your life, but you really started out in music. So it's really helpful for my listeners to hear how people I interview find their true gifts. So how did you know that you were good at music? How old were you and how did, it, how did it come about?
1: I don't remember being conscious of it until I was in my teens, but I was always involved in music from a very young age and I just did whatever we were able to do at school. Um, so it started off um, with the recorder, which I don't know if people still learn the recorder anymore, but I think it's... <laughs> It's a good start though i know some people who were traumatized by that <laughs> uh, and i very quickly sort of noticed that i had a good ear and and i got into the recorder band and then i progressed onto the clarinet because that was offered we had three instruments and that was the one that appealed to me the most and i, I don't know i just thought that everybody who picked up an instrument could do this um and so i progressed quite easily and quickly you know, through that. But I didn't, to be honest, until I I was in my 20s, I didn't actually admit that I wanted to do that as a career. Why was that? Well, I think partly because I came from a very traditional background. My dad was an academic. My my mum was the housewife and supporting the academic. And, you know, everybody around us were doctors, nurses, accountants, scientists, and And I did actually have an interest in in hospitals and nursing. So that seemed like a proper career. You know, I I can remember at one stage my clarinet teacher saying to me, well, you know, are you going to audition um, for university? And I went, why? (laughs) I think I even may have said, oh, it's not really a job, is it? You know, being a musician to my clarinet teacher who was uh, the principal clarinetist of the symphony orchestra. So I had, and teaching, you know, it just, the things hadn't connected to me that. Yeah. Being in music is a career and, and I think also my parents always encouraged it as a hobby rather than as something to do seriously. So I, I didn't have anyone in my family. I didn't really know anyone who took up music as a career other than my teachers and so for many and I was genuinely interested in becoming a nurse. I was fascinated with the body and looking inside and fixing things. Um, So it seemed, you know, and obviously that was encouraged when I made that choice by my family. So that's why I went in that direction first.
0: I think that happens with a lot of people. So I'm really glad that you shared that. So you had a lot of passions and careers, a singer, a musician, a nurse a singing voice teacher, you started a magazine, then you went into clinical hypnotherapy and became a coach. I love that you had this journey and just watching you coach live, I would say not only is music one of your superpowers, but coaching is one of your superpowers. So how did you get into that ultimately?
1: Well, when I decided to move into music as a career, um, I don't know if it was to appease me or my family, but I decided I would go to university and I would do a degree in Jazz, but I would do the education pathway So there was the performance and the education in part because I was older and I had been performing by that stage already for quite some time And I thought well, why am I going to do a degree in performing? It's not going to actually i you know because i've been around the block a bit i knew that having a degree in performing wasn't going to give me a job as a performer and i thought but education if i want to work i want to work with the higher level performer and that might happen in the educational setting and they're going to want to have some sort of qualification so i decided to take the educational route which i'm very glad i did because i did end up working in higher education, I ended up being head of a department for uh, for the vocal department for a music school. So that all really paid off. And then when I was, uh, so during my degree, I decided I didn't want to do as much nursing. And I thought, well, what can I do? And a lot of my friends uh, were teaching. And I had a lot of people asking me, could you teach me to sing?" And so I started teaching, sing, doing, sing, teaching people who wanted to learn singing. I learned very quickly that I didn't know how to do that, but I <laughs> could help them. I could help them musically. And I think when you're working with singers, and this is what ended up uh, directing me towards clinical hypnotherapy, is that a lot of the time I'm working with mindset. Mm. So I can teach someone the technical aspects of singing and music you know rhythm keeping you know all that sort of stuff i'm not a songwriter by the way you know there's i do have limits <laughs> but i realized that i'd had a lot of people in front of me that were what i considered very talented and capable and put in the hard work but the biggest block they had was their mindset and and i realized after i decided that actually i wanted to add more in that i really like the idea of coaching because it's broader so you're not being so prescriptive you know that person's not coming to me just to learn how to sing or just how to learn how to read music or you know sing certain types of styles like jazz because that was my field um but they're coming in and i'm fitting in everything that i have to help that person and i like that form of working with people but i think i had to go through the more traditional setting of teaching and education to get to this place for me as a coach
0: yeah that makes total sense I've talked to other people who have had different careers as they wind through their lives and they all kind of add up would you say that's true for you too
1: oh yes and and I was really fascinated to discover that there's actually you know a name for that you know <laughs> uh multi I think is uh oh, yes. those. yeah yes. yeah Yeah, so, and and also, I often talk about having a portfolio career so that people, because people like to categorise you, don't they? I mean, it's pretty normal, Uh, you know, I do it myself. Uh, And I've found it very difficult to explain myself as a pitch, you know, when they talk about finding that two-minute pitch. It's like, how do I fit everything I do in two minutes? But if I can say, um, you know, a portfolio, um, I've had a portfolio career and I help people utilizing all those, that education and experience and training and et cetera, you know, in order to help somebody achieve confidence in their creativity. So that seems to help, you know, people understand where I'm coming from whereas before I used to always be I was a nurse and then I was a singer and and then an educator and then I was a singing teacher and you know so um, but my life hasn't been like that and I like it I didn't know that it was possible because I thought you made a choice and then you stuck to it until you got the gold watch but of course that's changed now
0: see that's I'm so glad I'm talking to you that's exactly what I think my listeners need to hear because especially a lot of them are young and they're first starting out and they think they have to figure it out right away. And it's okay to explore because especially if you're following your heart and it's leading you towards something that really matters to you because it can add up to something later on.
1: Yeah. Not only is, does your mind change, you know, as you grow older and, and have different experiences, but, you know, society changes. And so, if you don't if you don't open yourself to that possibility of um changing or evolving i suppose um, it can be really quite self-limiting and 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 to be quite frank in my mind quite boring i would hate to do the same thing day in day out for all of my life <laughs> yeah i agree that's it's one of those things that i think young people do get very um tied up with is that they have to make the right decision right from the beginning. It's like, well, sometimes you don't know until you've tried it.
0: Okay, listeners, I wanted to pause here and check in with you. There's a lot of gold in what Lynn's shared with us so far. First of all, if you're not familiar with the term multi potentialites, It refers to people who have a range of interests and jobs over one lifetime. Emily Wapnick coined it in her TED Talk called Why Some of Us Don't Have One True Calling. But what Emily doesn't address is how all those different passions and careers can add up over time to become your greatest calling lynn for example brings her background as a vocalist a nurse an educator a hypnotherapist and a coach to help her clients overcome limiting beliefs it's a bigger calling she brings a multifaceted approach to her coaching it's the same for me i was a psychology professor before i became a rock star i played music as a hobby at night and on the weekends before I made the leap into becoming a full-time musician as a career. And then later in life, I brought psychology and music together to help my clients find their true calling. When I climbed the corporate ladder, I was able to use that experience to help my clients find their right careers. It all adds up to a greater calling. We all have more than one passion and talent. We're all mashups of different gifts and interests. Sometimes we bring them together to create something new, like Lynn has, like I have. And sometimes we explore these things sequentially over time and reinvent ourselves again and again. What's important here is to ask yourself, what are your passions and talents. And it doesn't matter if they're money makers or not. They still count. Music was a hobby for me. Music was a hobby for Lynn. Hobbies count. They're a true expression of who you are. They may or may not develop into careers down the road. It doesn't matter. It's part of who you were meant to be. And when you use all of your talents and skills, you come into your own. There's a lot of pressure on us to find our North Star, a single talent or gift to revolve our lives around. But that's not really how it works. Think of your true calling as being more like the Big Dipper than the North Star. And the Big Dipper, by the way, points right to the North Star. It's made up of several stars like you are made up of several passions and interests and skills you only need to find one of those to find your true calling. And it takes a lot of pressure off of you because you don't have to find the ability. You just need to find an ability. And Once you find one ability, it links to another and another and another. So all you have to do is listen for the one that's trying to get your attention the most, and it will lead you to the other's. And your path will unfold naturally before you. That's the easiest way to find your true calling. So take a moment and just ask yourself, what passion or interest or gift is trying to get your attention right now? Let it talk to you. Let it tell you what it needs from you and then do it. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is you say that babies are born full of confidence, optimism, and hope. That gets blocked by limiting beliefs, which are mostly formed in our subconscious between the ages of zero and six. Could Mm. you think more about that? I think that would be really interesting to listeners.
1: Yeah, so in part, um, that was what I understand from reading Cognitive development psychology, and also the training that I had through Lefko belief mm-hmm. process, which is um, uh, was developed by Morty Lefko, who was a psychologist, and and also uh, through my rapid transformational therapy training, which is a hypnotherapy based uh, therapy with Marissa Peer. Um, we pick up things, you know, we're, we're very absorbent at that age. I mean, I think it's quite commonly known that the best time to be teaching languages is up to four, I think, yeah, because our brain's very absorbent and it, it starts to make connections very quickly and it, and it can learn very quickly. And we need to because we need to become sort of as independent as possible quite quickly. And, in fact, in comparison to the rest of the animal world, we're quite slow, aren't we? Um, you know, if you, if you were... A, kitten or a puppy you'd be off on your own after 12 weeks but um you know as a human we need to at least cognitively be in a place uh, as well as motor skills and so the brain's set up very much and I think that it's very easy um in that period for things to get miswired and misinterpreted as well and because we're not necessarily always being uh corrected or Exp- you know, people aren't explaining to us, well, yes, I know I'm telling you off right now, but this isn't going to be a problem forever, or, you know, you know you can't tie your shoelaces right now, but eventually you will, or yes, I've just shouted at you because you did something again, but actually I'm in a grumpy mood, or I'm tired, or I've just had an argument, you know, with your other parent, and, and so the child is left to make the decision for themselves as to what this means and we misinterpret it obviously we don't have all the information either you know we don't understand adult relationships we don't understand um that there's a you know that we the world doesn't rotate around us you know cognitively I don't think that happens until we're six five six seven you're starting to realize oh oh <laughs> the world doesn't rotate around me I actually have to fit in. And, of course, you know, genetically we're set up to fit in so that we can survive. You know, that comes from cave days, caveman days or woman days. And that and, you know, things like the, the flight or fight response are kind of ingrained into us genetically as an as a automatic thing you know, you need to fit in, you need to, uh, otherwise you won't survive. You know, if if something terrible happens, you need to be alert and be able to run away. Uh, But of course, that doesn't fit in with modern society and modern living. Um, And then as we grow up, no one explains to us, I feel like this explanation should be given to us when we're at school. (laughs) All those beliefs that you have about yourself don't. First of all, then they're not necessarily true. And even if they are true, it doesn't mean you can't change. You know, the the work of Carol Dweck's been really instrumental. Yeah. In, you know, helping educators understand actually we need to encourage a growth mindset. Yes, a child may, I mean, be interesting. I don't know if she's talked about when they get a growth mindset. Does she believe they're born with it or that it's just evolved, you know, comes out of um, their experience at home? But the reality is when we're at the beginning, our only reference point and models are our parents. And let's face it, you know, no one's given the manual to being a good parent and parents are human too, Uh, you know, and then there's also bad parents. So um, these things need to be explained. And I I think as soon as you do understand that, it makes it so much easier to then change your mind, you know, to to re reframe what your thoughts are about yourself and to recognize that a that was then not now and b that was that person's opinion not everybody's and c you can actually change you can evolve you can develop you can learn you can educate yourself you know
0: yeah and you do that you do that in your coaching practice i i'm assuming that's part of the mindset work that you mm -hmm. do i printed out a list of limiting beliefs from the presentation that you gave i was just going to read a few there's something wrong with me. I'm not attractive. I'm not good enough.
1: Probably. That's a big
0: one. That's a big one, right? I'm not capable. I'm not talented. I don't matter. I'm not worthy. I'm worthless. That comes up a lot. I'm invisible. So these are some of the limiting beliefs that children develop based on feeling like they did something really wrong in a moment.
1: I'm, well, it might not be in a moment, it could be repetition. Yeah, so you know, hundreds of times you've been told, don't do that, do this, you know, you know, you didn't do that right, or, you know, and parents, they have to, you know, they can't sit and explain everything. But you know, and they're, and they're sometimes children are annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and so parents just react, um, you know, with a knee jerk reaction. Uh, And it's not because they intend to create the beliefs, they don't, you know, parents aren't told. You know most parents don't know that this is how beliefs are formed and most parents are bringing into their parenting their own beliefs and their you know role models even if their role models were bad and they're you know i was working with somebody whose father um thought he was a good father because he didn't hit his kids but he hit them with words he hit them with words and and he was had a big booming voice as well so he was very scary And but in his mind, he was being a good parent because his dad just hit him all the time. You know, it's all relative, I guess. But on on the other hand, it still obviously caused a huge amount of problems with his kids, uh, which they're still working through, you know, in their 60s. Well,
0: this may be a very obvious question, but why is it important for people to know what their limiting beliefs are? What's the the benefit of, of that?
1: Well, it's only... Useful and necessary if you're not able to do something you want to do, if you're not living the life that you want to, if you're not able to confidently state what it is that you want and need, and to feel okay uh, if somebody says something negative about you, and to pursue your passion or your interest or your talent uh, or your gift, you know, then it's a problem. But if you're happy and you're, you're happy with your life, then I don't think it's a big deal, you know. I just yeah. don't know that many people who are in that position.
0: Well, yeah. And I think also you you mentioned in the presentation that you gave, which I really enjoyed, that you don't put yourself out there to challenge those limiting beliefs. So you you don't really know what you're you're capable of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what's a technique or 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 an example if you want to give or how do you help people challenge their limiting beliefs?
1: So one thing which is quite useful is to go back and find where the evidence is. Where was the evidence that stated this, where you saw this was true, that I'm not good enough, for instance, is a good one. Mm -hmm. And I think many people can very quickly go and find, oh, yes, there was that time and there was that time and there was that time. Now, you may have formed it quite young, and this is why I ended up going into hypnosis, because I realize the subconscious stores a lot of stuff um, that the conscious isn't aware of or can't remember, but many people for some big things like I'm not good enough, do remember feeling that when they were younger and instances where they felt that and we go and reframe. So we reframe using the who, what, where, why, how, et cetera, as our starting point. So who said that and why might they have been saying that? Um, what were they saying it about? Is that relevant now? Um, When were they saying it? Well, they were saying to you when you were three or four, but you're now 35. Is that still relevant? Um, I mean, you're behaving like it is, but is it really? Um, And then, uh, you know, who who it is. It might be, well, your parents said that, but maybe they were wrong, or your parents said that, and they might have actually thought that was the best way to help you. Uh, they might not have realised that actually it was going to cause you to lose, you know, your ability to um, trust that you were good enough. Uh, So then usually what I, I get the person to identify those things because it's much better when it comes from the individual. So I will ask the question, so who was it that said that? Well, it was my mother. And why do you think your mother, if you just think about, you know, her situation, might have said that? Well, that was how she was taught and um, she didn't know or understand. For instance, my my mother always called me stupid. <laughs> and um, I mean, I laugh about it now because I just think it's obvious I'm not. But up until I was 40, I still believed it. And um, and I'd already, I think, actually, no, it was probably even longer than that, but There was this one point where I said to her, I said something to her about, um, you know, I'm a head of a department. I've got a master's and a degree, and yet you still don't think that I'm, you know, that clever. She said, well, if you'd been, if you'd gone to school in Switzerland, so she was Swiss, you, you know, you would have done better. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. A couple of things here. She never finished school. Oh. So why am I believing her? And then I was like, okay, so in her mind, the Swiss Ed system was better than the Australian system, but she'd never been through the Australian system. So how did she know? I, good. I love this. Yes. Yeah. So she might have actually thought that there was some regret she had, you know, that in her mind, because she knows the Swiss system, she felt that the Swiss system was better. But she didn't really acknowledge the fact that in spite of the fact that I didn't go to Switzerland uh, for schooling, I still managed to get a degree and a master's and become a head of a department at a music college. And she wasn't, you know, really acknowledging that and thinking about it. So, you know, I had to, in the end, I had to recognise that I had to discount her opinion as not being educated you know not being informed and she was actually wrong and when I recognized that I was like oh I can let it go that's her opinion but it means nothing about me
0: yes I love that in the Carl Jung world sometimes people project things onto others that they don't own themselves Mm -hmm. so it doesn't even have anything to do with you at all that maybe she was projecting onto you her own you know, she didn't finish school. So she, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's a big one. And that's another reason why I want to talk to you. So Carl Jung talks about unconscious, you talk about subconscious, the hypnotherapy angle. Before you were saying, we can trace back some of these things in the unconscious, but what what if we can't? How do you Mm -hmm. use hypnotherapy to get at those beliefs that aren't quite in awareness?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. I've worked with people, um, especially with the left co belief process who can't remember their childhood can't really remember in fact Morty also says I don't remember many things about my childhood, for whatever reason. He said, but you can trace it back to as far back as you can remember, and often we remember things that happen in our teens. And you can assume that if your parents were behaving in a certain way when you were a teenager, they were probably behaving like that when you were little as well. So you can work from that point of view. It doesn't have to, you don't have to go back to childhood. Um, I use hypnotherapy more because it's quicker and because I'm eliminating the conscious mind, which wants to interfere to give me the information that it thinks that I need or that it thinks that I want. Um, Also, the conscious mind often forgets. Uh, because it's not got a lot of room <laughs> for information so it'll tuck something into the more unconscious or subconscious so so from a medical point of view unconscious to me is someone who has been knocked out you know whether it's yeah. through a knock on the head or through drugs yeah so i don't know if that's different in jung
0: yeah it's different yeah, yeah. the unconscious is. i think it's similar to how you're using subconscious. it's Parts of yourself that seem unacceptable to you that you bury so that Mm -hmm. you're unaware of it and always trying to get your attention. And one of the ways it gets your attention is by projecting onto others. I think a lot of people don't know their gifts because they buried them because they weren't approved of by their parents or their schools, um, that sort of thing. So I think they're they're similar. I hear what you're saying about when I went to Princeton, we were told, do never say subconscious. But I think Mm -hmm. you and I are more on the same wavelength.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I also learned not to use subconscious. Okay. Yeah, from a medical point of view, it wasn't recognized. But I, I attended a uh, what was a seminar about talking about hypnosis and the use of hypnosis as an anesthetic and as an analgesic. Mm -hmm. And, and so these were all consultant um, Anesthesiologists and I heard them talking about subconscious and I was like yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) see I don't have a problem with it but I was trained to have a problem with it see I think it's better to open up and just communicate with each other Mm -hmm. from each other rather than judging each other
1: yeah yeah I had a feeling that for me that subconscious and unconscious from the Jungian point of view was probably the realms that they're
0: similar yeah you're it's basically you're unaware you're unaware, mm-hmm. you're not knocked out, you're awake and going through your day, but you're holding things down. So you may not really even know, like I've worked with people. I'm also a coach from a psychologist point of view. And I, it's a lot of people I've worked with discover a gift they did not know they had, but they had it all along, which is why I often ask people at the beginning, how did you first know that you were good mm-hmm. at something? Mm-hmm. But a lot of my uh, clients didn't know. They just knew something was missing. But anyway, I would love to hear about how you use hypnotherapy to help people. Mm. Well, you talk about that because you're the expert on that.
1: (laughs) So so because I learned uh, this, so the hypnotherapy um, modality that I learned belongs to Marissa Peer and it's a combination of psychotherapy or talk therapy, NLP, CBT, and hypnotherapy. So we actually... uh, Take, induce someone into that hypnotic state. Now, the hypnotic state is something that we go in and out of day in, day out. You know, it's not a foreign place and it's not like being on stage and being made to, you know, be a chicken or, a, you know, slap somebody or whatever. That's not what we do. This is therapy. But it uses hypnosis to access that part of your mind that's always kind of chugging away underneath, you know, determining your reactions, your opinions about yourself or even other people, maybe even your habits reside there. And certainly certain memories live there as well. And and so then we go and we identify, well here's the problem, I don't think I'm good enough or I don't have enough confidence when I'm performing, or I get really super anxious and then I don't perform or I procrastinate, you know, and, and so I'm not um, developing the way that I want to, and we go to identify. Well, what what are some examples of what might be at the root of that? And we let the subconscious mind choose. So I just click people back to a past scene that pops into their mind, and we explore that. And we just trust that the subconscious mind will choose the right example of of what you know would feed into this particular feeling. And we might go back three to four different um, events, and then we reframe them. And then what I really like doing is bringing that child, because often it is the child, into the adult and blending them together, merging them together. And the other thing that I like doing is installing the, the, um, the perfect parent. So instead of relying on someone else being your perfect parent, you become your perfect parent, because you know exactly what you need, and how you need it. And so you become responsible for giving yourself those things as opposed to looking outwardly to someone else to deliver that when they may never be able to do that for whatever reason. And there's a bunch of other, we also do something called um, role, purpose, intention and function. So we, you know, if someone's got a pain in their stomach every time they try to sing and or talk in front of other people, we go to that area that's come up with that pain and just say, you know, what's your role, what's your function, what's your purpose, what's your intention? And we give that part a voice. And quite often people will realise oh, I came up with that when I was 10 because it was a protective measure or to keep me safe or to stop me from doing something silly and then getting embarrassed or getting told off. And when they start to recognise that actually that tension that they feel is just a protective measure or keeping me safe, um, sometimes it's a punishment actually, but mostly it's protective. Um, We can then reframe that and we can either give it a different role to be your cheerleader to be your coach to be your friend to be your mentor or it might actually be possible to ensure that it disappears completely so there's a few things that we do in order to help the mind do that so that person can be free um, as they move forward and so that next time they go to perform that feeling doesn't have to come up anymore because they know I've got this you know I can look after myself I don't need protection from you so
0: are you talking about things like having a, a sour stomach or a headache or like bodily? Things?
1: No, I'm talking about things like tension or, you know, when someone says, I've got that feeling in the pit of my stomach or I've got a sort of pressure on my chest or I've got a pain in my neck yeah. and it's usually tension orientated. Yeah. So quite often people can feel anger in their body or they can feel anxiety in their body That's and true. and that. When they start to feel that it sort of triggers off the physiological aspects of say anxiety and and then you you end up, you know, on this roller coaster of of anxiety that then prevents you from doing what you want to do. Once you stop that from happening in the first place, now you can get up and. Do what you want to do.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to point out one of the things in, in that group that I was, a when you were doing live coaching, you said something that really woke me up because I'm, I'm a singer songwriter. It was, um this is where I thought you brought your music superpower and your coaching superpower together. And I had an aha and it was, you're up on stage and you see all these eyes on you and they seem like predators. I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, I know that one. And you said, just look up at the vista. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so instant. That's part part of what I really enjoyed about watching you live coaches that the changes people made were very fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a sort of a that's a neuroscientific thing. If if the yeah. brain is, is seeing a wide vista, uh sorry, yeah, if the if the eyes are seeing and the brain's getting that, it's getting the message of we're good, we're safe. Yes, exactly. When- focus in on something narrow, the brain's getting a message of, oh, oh, we better be on hyper alertness here.
0: Yeah, sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight. <laughs> I want to run out of the venue, for example, but I stay. So do you only coach musicians or do you coach other other people in, in, in gen- with general issues?
1: No, I, I, I have people like I, I'm currently working with a um, software developer who has taken on a managerial job and he wants to do it really well and he also wants to eventually be a CFO, oh, see? one of the C-suite, and he, <laughs> he wants the confidence to do that. Yeah, so I work with non-performers uh, and and I, I work with other creatives as well.
0: Okay, that's what I thought. Do you have any last words that you would like to share to help people? In my case, I help people find gifts they don't have. But if they do know those gifts and they just don't have the confidence to use them, do you have any final thoughts on what they can do? Any final advice?
1: Mm. Well, I think the first one is you can't, don't have to do this by yourself. Mm. There are amazing people around, you know, like yourself, Michelle, who will help you and who've either been through it or have the strategies and the tools and the training to help you through it. Um, the other thing is it's okay to change your mind. <laughs> and the third thing is um, you don't have to live your life limited by thoughts that you totally made up in the first place.
0: Mm, I love that. Well, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Lynn as much as I did. I am going to include a link to her website in the show notes. I'm also going to include a link for that TED Talk about multi-potentialites and also a link about mindset. We were talking about a growth mindset very briefly, and I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about what that means. Carol Dweck came up with this idea that some of us have a fixed mindset and this may be you, you think your intelligence or your personality is a fixed, deep-seated trait, and you believe that you can't change. So the only thing you can do is prove yourself over and over again, rather than learning from your mistakes. But all of us are capable of having a growth mindset, which is thinking that your intelligence or your personality is something that you can develop, that the hand that you're dealt is not the hand that you're stuck with it's just a starting point that you can actually cultivate your basic qualities through your efforts you can get better so i loved lynn's parting words that you don't need to believe a self-limiting concept that you put on yourself when you were a child and you were barely understanding the way the world works Adopt a growth mindset, and you're able to grow into the person you were meant to be. All of us have the potential to do that. Thank you, Lynn, so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to your true calling. Please leave a review. And share it with your friends. From my website, yourtruecalling.org, you can follow me on social media, learn more about my music and my coaching, contact me to find your superpowers live on the air, and help me produce future episodes by funding me on Patreon. Patreon.